It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW, or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me, as always, is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including The Beer Bible. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Here we are again. Yes, after some uh, delay. <laughs> some utility work outside. Well, studio, there was that, too. Studio Central. Yeah. Although... Oh, are you talking about the bigger delay? I'm talking about t- today's delay, yes. Yes, they today's delay. It's all delays. Yes. But the city that works has gotten me a new telephone pole across the street, so a there you go. A telephone pole you never knew you needed. That's right. But it turns out you did. And yes. and for the listener, uh, they cut some wire, uh, <laughs> which is dangling down in my front yard, and it's driving Patrick crazy. Because we have internet and we have power, but he can't figure out what that could be. And he's because you're certain that they did something wrong. <laughs> the, <laughs> the power is clear. You have a power line attached to your house. You also have an old telephone line that's long been severed. But a line today was severed to your house. And it, as far as I can tell, the only way you could possibly get internet is through that line. It's coaxial cable. Uh, but you have no idea because you're a Luddite and technology baffles you. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Internet works. Yeah, but I'm you're not, right. The internet works, and it's driving me nuts. Like, how can the internet work? There's no way that you're getting any kind of cable into this house. Maybe it's underground. Could be. Anyway, uh, good news is we have cable, so um, or we have internet. Excuse me, so we can um, continue with the show. Excellent. Uh, I think it's all good. Everyone wants to know what the weather is today. It's warm and sunny. Um, a beautiful fall day. A little bit crisp in the air. It's it's warm-ish. I mean, it's really we've really come back from uh, our our summer highs. We have a high of seventy or something today. It's yeah. it's very crisp and and yeah. I mean, for late for late there. September, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's gorgeous weather, and also I just love the fall, and it feels like fall when you step outside. It's got that crisp quality in the air. There's too. a there's something about the light that's a little bit more blue uh, than the, the high summer, uh, which is more yellow. You Nights know? are cold. Nights are very the cold. It's crisp. Makes you want to drink beer. I got up in the middle of the night to close the window because it got downright chilly in the old bedroom last night. Yeah. Yeah. We had to uh, uh, turn on the furnace for the first time. Oh, wow. Yesterday because it was really cold in the morning. My wife gets up early. She goes off, teaches grade school. So, yep. Uh, she was a little chilly, so this is that's always the the official beginning of fall is when the furnace has. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and there's that first there's you know in Portland we don't have great air conditioning, so we always have all our windows open to try to cool the house down. And there's that first day when you do that, and it it gets down to like 49, and you 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 walk downstairs, and your house is like 53 degrees, and you realize you've made a terrible Wait, mistake. What am I feeling? This feeling in my body is like. Coldness. Coldness. Uh, so uh, a couple weeks ago, as this pot airs, a little less time as this pot is recorded, uh, the wife and I went downtown Portland on a Friday night to this new thing, the Portland Beer Garden. Have you been? I have not. Uh, so it's a pretty cool idea. There was an old food cart pod that kind of got destroyed. I think this is the one that might have burned. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. But a, uh, a local business that's across the street helped uh, design and um, fund this new cart pod concept. But it's uh, it's um, enclosed. It has a fence. It's like a half a block. Um, uh, it's not a full block parking lot. It's a half a block parking lot. And so it's got a long 
um, sort of linear row of food cart um, food carts. It's lit. It's they've redone the the surface, so it's not just asphalt. It's kind of nicer. Um, really nice benches, uh, lights at night, uh, security guards if you're um, interested. So they um, help keep things because it's in the part of the downtown that's a little bit more, uh, let's say, rough around the edges. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's you know, not all of downtown has, has no, had dis- issues. And this dis- is despite what you hear on the news. Yeah. Uh, it was lovely. That's my point. Um, is this again, despite what you hear in the news? And we walked all around downtown afterward. We went to a movie. Uh-huh. Um, is this the one that they do like rotating one brewery at a time and they rotate through or? Yeah. I'm not sure how they're dealing with it right now. It's fracture. Yep. Um, did you have the North, uh, the West coast pills? Uh, well, I had the rice, uh, lager with, uh, fresh hop Simcoe. Okay. Which was actually quite delightful. They're 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 I thought, they're getting it done. Fracture I, is really uh, impressing me. Uh, and um, unlike you, readers of the Instagram will have seen this. I actually did see this. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, uh, yeah, this is a it's a very tricky thing to put a uh, fresh hops into a lager uh, or pilsner, for example. I'm trying to think. Do they call? I don't think they call it a pilsner. Um, I don't know. You can look at my Instagram. Probably, I think I might have had a description. And so it, you have to be, have a very light touch. You gotta be really careful how you do it, and I thought they did it exceptionally well. I was out drinking last night with a, uh, I think, friend of the pod, friend of the blog for sure, um, a uh, a man named Tom Morgan, who is a professor in Ohio, uh, and we've been connected a long time. We have never actually met, but he's in Portland last night, and we went down to the Prost Fresh Hop Pop Up, mm-hmm. uh, which is in North e- North Portland, and they were doing. Lagers last night. It was fresh hop lager night, so we drank a bunch of different lagers, and uh, they they um, yeah, it's, it it seems to be a thing. I've had this is the weird thing. I've had maybe six or eight fresh hop beers so far this year, and I think one of them has been an ale. It's like lagers everywhere. Yeah, really. Yeah, I, I was think, thinking this was a one off, like a an exception, but uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, um, uh, listeners of last week's pod. Right, uh, will have um, heard all about uh, fresh hops, but we're actually recording these in reverse order, oh, so we have true. not yet recorded the fresh hop. <laughs> that's true. That will conf- that will be confusing since so we. I was thinking about when people are listening to this, um, particularly given that we know excellent. what we're going so you to record may, next. You may already know that all the the fresh hops are lagers. We're about to find out. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. This is. But my point, point we're, about the point we're really garden, they're this. supposed to put a cover over it for the winter. It's not covered yet, but as the rains come, they're supposed to put a cover oh, over really? it. It's supposed to be a year-round thing. Holy crap, really? Uh, and it was pretty awesome. It was There was a lot of people there. It was sort of bright and lively. Um, we kind of showed up a little bit later on a Friday, a little bit later for Portland on a Friday. So some of the carts had had closed but there was lots still open and um it is as i always say the city that sleeps <laughs> yeah uh, and it was um it was quite lovely and so i was really gratified i've been downtown quite a bit so i know that it's it's doing pretty well um uh relative to where it's been uh-huh. uh it still has a long way to go um but this i thought was a really nice um uh uh, contribution to the downtown scene, and I wish that I could remember the company that sponsored it. If you look it up online, you'll see. Um, because kudos to them; they, their offices are across the street, and uh, they decided to do this as a sort of public service. I don't think they're making any money off this; um, probably losing money. So, cool. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, by the way, after that, we went and saw the Barbie movie. Oh, yeah, Barbie. Uh, which my wife has seen a while and really wanted me to go see, so we did. Unfortunately, we were the only ones in the theater, she said. It was much funner the first time around when, when there were lots of people there and quite um, uh, a good cheer. Yeah, Sally and I saw it pretty early on. It was actually hard to get a ticket, so we did not see it in the opening weekend. I think we saw it maybe uh, the second second weekend, but it was still super packed. The theater was absolutely full of people in pink, and yeah. there was a lot of there's a raucous uh, environment in the in the theater and a lot of like cheering and laughing and it was a lot of fun and it's a pretty subversive movie so I I, I liked it. It is. It's pretty good. Uh, I had fun. I think it would have been more fun um, with people around. Although I don't think I've ever actually been in a theater without anyone else. Yeah, um, this might have been the first time I've ever been completely uh, alone in a theater, which was an interesting uh, uh, experience. It's a little bit. Spooky almost. <laughs> I went, I like, went, wait a minute. <laughs> I once went to a Tom Cruise vehicle, and I can't remember which one it was, and Sally and I were the only ones, and we were like, huh, this is not opening well. It was the <laughs> opening weekend. I know what you mean. It's a funny thing. Oh, wow, thing. opening weekend. That's not good. No, it was not good. Uh, I still say my favorite movie of the summer, though, is Oppenheimer. So um, if, you're, if you're thinking of the Barbenheimer double feature, that would be mine. Um, I have many complaints about Oppenheimer, but you and I can take that off the off pod. air. That's okay. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna recommend it. Uh, we should probably get going, but today we're doing a little switcheroo. That's right. So should, should go, we talk dude. about should we talk about the today's topic? We should. Today we are pulling on our green eye shades and squinting at some data. It's another episode of Beeronomics. Our intrepid economist is going to walk us through some numbers, inflation. Draft numbers, tap rooms, we're digging deep so you don't have to. The truth is, I don't actually have any idea what we're doing. So this is kind of a generic intro. Um, Basically, I'm this sure is it's going to be awesome. Beeronomics State of the Industry podcast uh, to edify, enlighten, and amaze. X. Well, that was brilliantly written. <laughs> I should have made you write the intro. You clearly have chops. Uh, so all that is coming next. But first, the news. We aren't going to be able to cover every closure out there, but one uh, passage was noteworthy. Here in Portland, Nat West, friend of the pod, decided to shutter his heavily beer-influenced cidery, Reverend Nat's. It was in part a delayed consequence of COVID when he found himself with a business model that didn't translate to the times. For that reason, it's noteworthy. The COVID closures don't all happen during COVID, and many uh, may continue to unfold. Yeah, and this may be relevant to some of the things you talk about um, as a little anecdata. Uh, you know, Reverend Nat talked about how um, if you were in grocery stores during COVID, it was very good. And if mm-hmm. you weren't, it was very hard. Yep. And if you weren't making a lot of money and you were trying to service debt or, you know, do anything else, um, it could be really challenging. And um, as you're going to talk about today, uh, things didn't rebound to perfectly to COVID baselines yep. and particularly given uh, which which business model you had. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting time in the industry, and um, this is maybe one example of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sad. I also, um, something I'm not particularly going to talk about today, but I also uh, um, hope it doesn't portend um, more trouble in the cider uh, sector in general, although uh, other indications seem like it's doing all right for some places. So we'll see. Yeah. 
All right, and our second item, um, as you know, based on last our last pod, uh, the hop harvest is just ending, and the industry appears to be oversupplied. At the start of the year, growers and brokers had 30 to 40 million pounds of excess inventory, and growers needed to cut back around 10% to put things in equilibrium. They cut acreage, but only by about 6%. We'll get the numbers by the end of the year, but it looks like breweries are going to be able to find a lot of cheap hops on the spot market in 2024. Well, yeah, we'll circle around back to that, but uh, inflation, not just uh, the price of beer on the shelves, but also the uh, price of inputs for brewers um, is a big part of what I think are the dynamics that we'll talk about. So I guess we can we can put that off, but um, it's good to know, I guess, uh, in general, that the... the um, uh, weather hasn't been too bad because we heard some stuff from Yakima that there was some tough conditions out there. So yeah, and I think there are maybe some variety, excuse me, some variety specific shortages. Um, I'm I'm hearing about Centennial possibly being a uh, a tough hop to get, but uh, overall acreage, I think it's going to be ample to get brewers what they want. And there's so many hops now. If you don't have Centennial, you know, you can use other hops, Cascade uh, and Simcoe and, you know, various Chinook, depending on what, what your hop, what your recipe is to get where you need to go. So it's probably not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we delve into the beeronomics, my friend? Yes, we should. Uh, and I am here at your service, yes. your, your, I was your I was your loyal. You're, now you now you understand my um, my conundrum every week. It's true, although I have no idea what you're about to say, and I've got to try and sound not like an idiot. Yeah, well, it's or, true. Or try to try to um, uh, uh, be a positive influence in the that's, podcast. That's right. <laughs> you did you did oh, uh, dispatch me to act as your uh, research uh, research assistant. So I do have some sense of some of the data you have in front of you, but I don't know how you're going to put it together and create a, a, a picture. Well, no, I don't exactly either, but let's just go ahead and, and see, what we, <laughs> see what we can do. So the, I, I pitched this idea as the podcast because, as you may or may not be aware, there's a lot of change happening right now, a lot of disruption, a lot of um, uh, uh, movement in the craft beer space. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I wanted, I thought this was a good moment to check in, not just talk about sort of how things are going overall, though we will talk about that, but what are the kind of nuances in terms of how you make beer, how you package and sell beer um, that are affecting the craft beer space, and then maybe a bit about what we might expect to happen in the, in the future. So I guess the big thing uh, to know is that craft beer uh, for um, a long time was kind of a, uh, a big growth space. Within beer? Within beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So beer overall uh, is um, down and down relative to spirits particularly, but other uh, uh, alcoholic beverages. Um, and craft beer itself for a long time was sort of a bright light. This is a trend that's been going on for a while, but craft beer itself was kind of a bright light, buck buck the trend, big brewers were getting interested, they were buying up small breweries, trying to create their own little brands and brands. And all of that, as we've talked about in recent pods, is starting to unravel. Right. Big brewers are starting to divest themselves of these craft brewers, they're starting to divest themselves of the brands they built, and the craft beer space is suddenly starting to contract. So this is a big change. Uh, a couple of stats um, 
uh, about where we're um, headed uh, more recently comes from the Brewers Association. They found that um, uh, 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 a 2% decline in the overall market of craft beer. This is from mid-year 2023. Mm -hmm. And um, that uh, packaged beer was down 3% year over year, um, but are improving a little bit uh, because they were down 9% earlier on. And um, uh, oh, we don't, I don't have the stat in front of me, but um, draft beer has been um, a big uh, drag in particular. Where is it? Here. Uh, uh, oh, this is imported keg beer volumes are down 20%. Draft beer, both in distribution and trap rooms, accounted for 10.8% uh, of total U.S. beer volumes in 2018, but has fallen all the way to 8.4% in total U.S. Uh, beer volumes by 2021. So say say that again, just to get fix it in my head. Uh, so basically, in five uh, draft time. beer used to be almost 11% of the market. Uh -huh. And by 2021, the last time that we've got good data for this, it was down to 8.4% of the market. Okay. So in terms of a percentage change in draft, that's like a 20% decrease in right. draft beer. Overall. Which is pretty darn big. Uh, yes. Um, and in general, between 2000 and 2020, as we were talking about before, the share of alcohol and revenue that uh, went to beer has gone from 55, 56% to 44%. So Oof. for that 20-year period, that was the, what we, the trend we were talking about before. Sorry, I have got these uh, stats in, in a little bit of a jumble. My, uh, my apologies. That's okay. Um, and then just a little bit more about sort of the decline in, in uh, kegged beer, because this is going to be a big thing um, to talk about, is that uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the easiest way to give, to give this that. But basically, we're about two um, uh, uh, million barrels down from the peak draft beer. So we've seen a lot of openings of new craft beer uh, businesses, but we've also now starting to see lots of clo closings of craft beer business. And uh, as we've just talked about, some of that has to do with COVID, and we'll talk about the way the market has shifted with COVID. But um, this has been a trend for a little while, just in terms of the decline in craft be uh, in, in uh, beer overall. And now it's starting to hit, the craft beer is no longer bucking that trend. Right. And so, and, and in fact, the, the last half of the last year and the first half of this year, it seems like craft beer was actually doing worse than the rest of the beer industry overall, which is really unusual for us to see. Yes. And this is a trend. This is something I'm going to uh, pivot to in a moment. There's just um, uh, one final thing I want to say, which is uh, that in economics terms, and I've mentioned this before, um, one of the signs of a mature market is what we call churn, which is basically firms that enter and firms that exit. And so, um, I don't know, maybe this is a poor uh, analogy, but the um, athletic shoe market um, that sort of has some dominant players, but then you have a bunch of other players who sort of come and go. Um, and there's been a lot of churn in the athletic shoe market, for example, all these new sort of Allbirds and on and other brands are there. And then brands that used to be there are sort of um, exiting the market. I think maybe Under Armour exited, but anyway. Um, so that's kind of the sign of a mature market where you're not having this great growth that just can keep accommodating new and new businesses. Right. But this churn is considered a good thing in general because the idea is in a perfect world where markets are efficient, 
the most efficient, the better, uh, the most efficient breweries, the better breweries, the breweries that are uh, meeting people's tastes um, um, in terms of the beer itself and any other part of the experience are the ones that are going to stick around and um, those that are, are going to um, fall off. And that's pro-consumer. That's good for consumers because that's sort of the, you know, the, um, the competition that uh, um, makes the cream rise to the top. <laughs> Try right. not to torture metaphors here. And beer is actually kind of a cool market when you look at markets because there are ten thousand breweries in America. So it's yeah. it's not really a very concentrated uh, marketplace when you talk about that churn. You have a lot of potential for yeah. churn. And then with beer, because it's so local, there's also lots of other heterogeneous stuff that happens. It depends on sort of what what neighborhood you're in and what kind of market you're serving and whether you're providing other parts of the experience. You know, if you have a brew pub or a tap room and things like that, it can be just sort of whether your brand is sort of popular now and whether it's not. So uh, I say that just to say that through no fault of, of their own, there's probably plenty of craft beer companies and brewers that are struggling, um, not because they don't brew good enough beer or they don't are trying to meet the taste but for whatever reason they aren't sort of the hip or the latest right if things i mean trends really change we've we've talked about the the shift uh in in the popularity of hazy ipas you know it hasn't gone away but it's no longer just absolutely animating everything and then so if you're very highly identified with hazy ipas you're probably not just minting money like you were five years ago yeah so the first thing that I want to talk about, I guess, um, is the um, post-COVID or the, the sort of the COVID shock that happened, and not in terms of overall demand, but how that really uh, altered the market for beer mm -hmm. in the following way. Um, and I'll give an anecdote uh, to sort of uh, try to prove my point. So last night... Uh, it was my birthday, so uh, right. I know. I, I, I saw that. I saw, sorry. Happy, happy thirty ninth. Yeah, you're looking great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm a simple man, a simple taste. So my my uh, um, request for my family was that we just walk down the street to a little pizza parlor, a local pizza parlor. And when we got there, um, they were making plenty of pizzas, but most of them were going out the door. There were just one other group inside the pizza parlor that were eating in, um, like us. And when I went to get a beer, they have six taps, and four of them were not working. I was trying to say, I don't know if they were blown. They just they weren't operating. Wow. There were actually only two beers on, on huh. tap. Well, that's really unusual. Uh, which is unusual, maybe, I suppose. Um, they also have a little cooler with cans, so mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. Uh, I had a buoy lager, which was quite nice, so that was fine. I could find a good beer. Uh, but it, uh, to me, it was illustrative of uh, some of the trends that I think have happened post-COVID. Um, I don't know exactly what the data is on the retail restaurant side, but um, I think that a lot of ref restaurants that um, pivoted heavily to takeout or that were well, well positioned for takeout um, uh, I suspect, though don't know, that um, they still have uh, a higher proportion of takeout than eat-in sales than they did pre-COVID. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, for example, the little uh, pizza parlor is, is an example. And I think that um, that also indicates one of the big trends, which is this big decline in draft beer. Um, people are just not uh, drinking 
draft beer in place as they used to. And um, it's a little perplexing in some ways because when you go to a, a local craft beer tap room or brew pub here, there seems to be plenty of custom. But I think uh, in a lot of bars and restaurants, they've sort of pivoted away. And so I have a question for you yeah. to get you involved. Yes. Which is uh, one of the things that uh, struck me is that packaged beer has gotten really, no, let me rephrase, packaging has gotten really good. Yeah, uh, right. There's been a huge pivot to cans. Mm -hmm. Cans preserve beer extremely well. Yep. Cans are easy to stock. Yep. It's pretty easy for places to have a cooler full of cans. Uh, and um, I suspect that consumers no longer see a big um, quality difference in draft beer over packaged beer. Discuss. Yeah. I. Well, I mean, uh, in, in my view, consumers were never particularly... Uh, aware of, of the quality differences in package. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of the stuff that drove people to prefer a one package type versus another, uh, you know, there was a period when, when all the beers had short necks and they went to long neck bottles and they went to cans. I don't think anybody was thinking about the quality of beer inside there mm -hmm. and how these different packages might impact it. Right. Um, and, and in terms of draft, uh, yeah, I think that's, probably going to be explained much more by cultural factors, uh, why they're not drinking it rather than preference, think making a cognitive, you know, like a, a decision of thinking, uh, if I buy a can and drink it at home, it'll be just as good as if I go to the, the pub down the street. Um, it seems like the reason they're not going to the pub down the street is probably explained by something other than their knowledge of the quality of the beer inside. Okay. In my experience, they just don't seem to know that much about the quality of the beer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'm going to get into inflation here real quick because I think that's a big thing we got to talk about. The yeah. biggest thing we got to talk about. And so I'm going to talk about it a lot. But um, uh, but before we got into that, I just wanted to... Did I get that right, Professor? Uh, what right? The answer. You asked me a question. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, it might also be a gener generational thing. I mean, draft beer used to mean something to our dads, I guess, right? Like, or to us, and to we're us. the dads now. And now we're the dads. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure it means the same thing anymore. Um, I think people have become so used to beer in packages, and I think the beer in packages is so good. that. Yeah, I do actually, now that we... I amend my, my response by adding that um, almost all the breweries... Uh, in Portland, just I can't speak to the entire country, mm -hmm. uh, will release beer in cans. Um, they may only sell it at their own uh, tap room, yeah. um, but but uh, many of them put it in the grocery store. So if you wanted to sample broadly, you used to have to go to a pub um, to get beer from obscure breweries, but now you don't have to. So that may be another incentive to go to the grocery store. Yeah, well, so this is one thing I was wondering, and you may know this, but I don't, so it's sort of a question. <laughs> And either you can answer it or we can wait and hopefully someone will reach out. Um, but as a retailer, let's suppose I'm a pizza parlor or I'm a restaurant, um, not so much a bar, but maybe even a bar. Uh, I wonder what the relative cost of maintaining taps uh, relative to just a cooler full of cans. Now, I know distributors come in and they'll like, at least in Oregon, right, they'll, they'll maintain your taps to some extent. So I can't, I yeah, I can't remember who's responsible. It varies state by state. And this yeah, just goes to show so it's, how it's long kind it's of a, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer. But I was thinking as a pizza parlor, um, if people really aren't demanding kegs, do I really want to bother? Or just 
you know, I can just get a bunch of different cans and offer more selection um, and sort of potentially less hassle. That's a, that's an open question. I really don't know what the answer is, but I wonder if that's part of part of what's driving it too. And with COVID, people have been conditioned to now just buying packaged beer and drinking it at home, and so that might be a big cultural shift as as well. Yeah. Um, so those two things might be happening hand in hand. I also know that it used to be um, at least around Portland. During COVID, you could get takeout, and then you could also order beers that they deliver to you with your takeout. Right. Right. And so another way that people, I think, were conditioned maybe into to getting beers in package. So I always prefer, if I can, to get a draft beer. Um, I still, maybe I'm romantic, but <laughs> I still enjoy it. Um, so, um, yeah, that's sort of an, an open question. I'll just say that two... Um, uh, two places where I've noticed this as well is the little sort of taqueria I go to before I go to Timbers games. Um, uh, they have a big cooler full of beer and a couple of taps, and most of the beer they sell, I think, is from the cooler. And even at the Timbers games themselves now, they're selling. I see more people running around with cans of beer than with uh, uh, a cup of um, draft beer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting. All right, but and, I want to pivot now to and, oh, and as a to seed the audience, we would I would love your perception on all this because I think it remains an open question and the data are not uh, anywhere near um, granular enough for us to kind of dig in there so tell us what 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 you're seeing where you're from yeah yeah and 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 I guess we should just sort of complete the circle which says this can mean a huge uh, impact for um, craft brewers that do a lot of draft beer relative to brewers yes. that do a lot of packaged beer um, uh, we talked about the closing of Reverend at Cidery, for example. I know that he did a lot of cider on uh, a draft cider mm-hmm. um, uh, if you're a package. So those that were able to either were already in package or p- able to pivot to package more easily s- did better during COVID. And what's interesting is that trend hasn't really reversed. Right. So if you were waiting out COVID and hoping that your draft sales, your keg sales were going to go up, you're probably not seeing that. Right. In fact, it might even be worse now than before. So that's one of those fascinating trends. I just don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm uh, I'm curious. But what I really wanted to know about, and when I was thinking about this episode, was really thinking about the impact of inflation. Because yeah. I think inflation is sort of the big thing that all consumers right now are thinking about, and all craft brewers are thinking about in terms of the inflation that they're seeing in their own ingredients. Um, and so I'm really interested in sort of what's going on and how that's uh, affecting um uh, people. So we reached out to Bart Watson, the economist for the Brew Association, the yep. craft beer industry group, um, see if he had any data. He was very busy because of the GABF, so he only had a chance to shoot us a... Oh, go ahead. But what a mensch. On, on GABF week, we contacted him like well, two days the eve, before. On the eve, we're like, oh, we're going to do a pod like tomorrow. Do you have any... <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much, Bart, for taking a, a few minutes of your time and giving us some data. So I found some of the stuff he sent. Um, and remember, this is just real sort of back-of-the-envelope quick data stuff. But it gives us a sense of what's going on. So uh, in here's something that blew my mind. So in the past 15 years, if you're looking at um, consumer prices, uh, this is for um, packaged or at-home sales. Uh, the cost of beer, the price of beer is up 41% over the past 15 years. Mm -hmm. Wine is up 7% and spirits up 13%. So if you're looking at those big trends in beer, uh, uh, I caution you on the causal link. It's possible, maybe likely, that this big inflation in beer prices has caused sales to 
to go down and to shift into other types of alcoholic beverage. But it's also possible that because of declining sales, th there could be a little bit of reverse causality is there. Because of mm -hmm. declining sales, breweries are increasing prices a bit to try to make up for that lost revenue. And, there, and I think there might be a cyclical issue here too, because I think beer might have kept uh, prices artificially low or like they, they leveled out while inflation rose before this. So they, there might be some catch up here, which is not related to the inflation. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you're right. It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to infer causality just from a, a raw number like that. But boy, it's, you're right. It's quite a shocking stat. Yeah. And so I was really interested in, so that's consumer price index essentially. And I was really interested in producer price indices for these industries. And you can find this data. Uh, we live in a country that keeps a lot of good data and, and, and puts it out. So uh, those economics nerds. So why don't you tell us what the difference between these two numbers, right. what are they measuring? I will in a moment. Okay. Uh, uh, for economics nerds, the data that, that I've been looking at is from the St. Louis Fed. They have this FRED database, F-R-E-D. Um, and it's just it's a, a treasure trove of U.S. economic data. So you can look at the producer price index by industry. So the difference between the consumer price index and the producer price index uh, is sort of um, all in the name. Consumer prices are final prices that consumers pay in the marketplace. So you go to a grocery store and you buy a, a, a beer. That's consumer price, of course. A producer price is intermediate goods prices or input prices. So producer prices, for example, I'm a brewery. I have to buy yeast. I have to buy hops. I have to buy malted barley. Um, I've got water, energy, other things I use. All of that is uh, part of the cost and labor, of course. I was going to say, does labor, the labor <laughs> is a big one there, right? Yeah, and this is actually a question I tried to uh, tried to sneak in for Bart. I didn't get an answer, but I'm curious, and we might be able to find out an answer later, is how labor-intensive uh, brewing is relative to wine and spirits. Because there's a lot of differences in wine and spirits. But what I looked at in the Fed, the Fred, is the uh, producer price index over the last few years, um, uh, sort of during this time of increasing inflation, um, for breweries, wineries, and distillers. And uh, it's pretty interesting. So uh, the index for brewers, I'm going to do some quick sort of calculations in my um, head. It's about 10% since January 2020 um, increase. Uh, for uh, wineries, again, it's some quick calculations in my head. It's another about 10% increase, which is interesting to me because I was suspecting that maybe wineries would be less mm -hmm. since you grow grapes and you make wine. <laughs> I mean, come on, what do you really, honestly, what do you need? A bunch of people to jump on the grapes and squish them. Well, it's a lot. I mean, you know, you don't have the brewing part, so it is a lot more efficient in that all you have to do is, is get the get the juice out, which goes in a big machine and doesn't require a lot of management, and then throw in some yeast and you're done. Um, whereas, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of fermentation. To me, I mean, I understand the, the process of growing the grapes is a big part of it, and, right. and, uh, uh, and that, you know, subject to, like... Um, Lots of things have been happening, especially in the West in the wine industry. So maybe, maybe things about dealing with um, forest fires and water shortages and and uh, hot temperatures and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but here's the here's the crazy one uh, for spirit for distilleries. Yes. Uh, the producer price index has actually declined. Wow. By about ten percent. Holy the, moly! These ten percent are all rough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
so I was fascinated by that. And, and that sort of dovetails with the fact that uh, spirits are kicking butt. Right. <laughs> they're, they're selling better. Um, yeah. And I have some data if I can sort of... Uh, um, I don't have... It. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to that. Just, just trust me that uh, um, there's a lot of shift into spirits in drinking. Yeah, we. I, I know what you're looking at. I saw. I saw. I saw that stack go by. <laughs> so you can confirm that there's a there's a good stack. I'll I'll, I'll dig it out in a minute. But, uh, um, so, I guess I should I should say that there's not great sort of granular price data. So one of the things I really wanted to know is how are people adjusting to these increase in prices that they're seeing in the marketplace? Are they shifting? within the category of beer from expensive beer to cheaper beer right are they shifting away from beer and into other types of alcoholic beverages like wine and uh, malt beverage flavored malt beverages wine and spirits and how much is that just a natural process so we know that spirits have been doing well for quite a while and beer's been declining for quite a while and how much of that is accelerated by these these price changes in 2022 Spirit sales amounted to 42.9% and beer accounted for 41.2% of all sales. Uh, That was the first time it has outsold beer. Yeah. So the trends are really reversing. And so you can also see the trends in production. And by the way, um, uh, I don't know what accounts for this difference in in distillery because you do, they they all start with the same uh, malt barley, right? Or, Or some kind of grain. Right, or some kind of grain, which is, I think, an important yeah, piece there. That's true. Uh, you can shift away from barley, but I think it's a lot more efficient uh, at a large scale. And if you, you know, if you look at uh, a big distillery, I suspect that the labor hours required to produce uh, an equivalent alcohol unit is probably way lower than it is for beer. Yes, yeah. So that was one of the things. That was one of the reasons I was really interested in about how much the labor input for brewing. So we can forget wine because. I don't know enough about wine. But <laughs> I know a little more about distilling. And I and would there, imagine that you need far fewer people per, uh, I don't know what the right metric is, but say that's per dollar of revenue. Right. And there's a lot of other nice things. You put your your uh, whiskey in a in a, um, uh, a bottle um, that you sell for, I don't know, 40 bucks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, in this one little bottle. And to get that same amount of revenue, you need, you know, Unless it's Pancho Villa, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> six, six, six packs. Anyway, you get the idea that by volume, uh, there's much more value by volume in, in spirits. Yes. Um, uh, they take up much less space. That's both in true production and in packaging and sales and all that. So yep. there are a lot of efficiencies in spirits. So I can sort of see why spirits are kind of a, a nice business. And I think, it, I think it tracks really well with the, the, the consumption trends that we're seeing, too, where people are uh, drinking more cocktails um the whole the whole flavored malt beverage thing with the g and t in a can kind of thing reflects an interest the growing interest in 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 that that dimension of drinking right now and and beer has gotten uh kind of old fuddy-duddy and uh everybody's turning to to spirits so that's also a trend that's just happening in society yes yeah and 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 uh you sent me some good stats for that before i get to those stats i want to say one other thing which is this um quote that you gave me uh, because I wanted to circle back. Uh, beverage alcohol pricing has gone up in the on-trade at nearly double the rate of off-premise increases. So it's interesting that we're seeing these price increases uh, for on-premise consumption versus at-home consumption or packaged, takeaway packaging. 
uh, and that's um, I imagine a big factor of that is labor market stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, retail um, food, let's call it retail food, <laughs> <laughs> retail food and beverage. Yes. Uh, by by that I mean restaurants, uh, brew pubs, tap rooms, things like that um, are seeing their their costs increase a lot um, because of um, uh, labor costs, recruiting and keeping uh, people is very hard these days. So I wonder if that's also part of the trend that's getting people away from from draft beer into into packaged beer. I wanted to take a little moment, a little time out, and talk about what do you we have oh, the we have these be- we have these beers here. And- okay, well, actually, that's yeah, you're, and this is a good moment. So I'll, I'll I'll circle back to what I was just about to do and say, <laughs> look, one of the big questions I have is how are people responding to these price increases? These price increases are happening. They're happening for the brewers. The brewers have to pass on these price increases somehow. It's uh, or else. They can't make a go of their business. Right. And so we're seeing these price increases filter into beer. And one of the things we know is that people, actually, I can do both at the same time because I'm that good. Yes. Is that uh, people adjust to prices. And by the way, uh, when you talk about the consumer price index, how do we measure that? Do you know, Jeff? I have no idea. Probably there's a basket of goods. Excellent. There you are. That was nice. Yeah, so uh, we keep a track of the prices of a basket of goods, and you're trying to represent it. So you might have like a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk and a dozen eggs and a pound of hamburger and so on and so forth, right? Right. And so we just keep track of that same basket of goods over time. And as those prices go up, we measure. That's what we call price increases. Well, the the criticism of that method is legitimate. Uh, It's hard to... To adjust, but the idea is that people adjust. Mm-hmm. So, and when hamburger prices get expensive, maybe you substitute away into something less expensive. Maybe eat more pasta or something like that. Right. And so, the true effect of prices is actually mitigated by the fact that people will respond to those prices. And this is what we call um, substitution. So they say there's a substitution bias in consumer prices. Well, that was what I was. This dynamic is what I was fascinated with in beer. And so, what I what we have here are three beers, Jeff. Indeed. Uh, the first is sort of a classic craft brew. This is from Bowie. I just mentioned Bowie in terms of going drinking a nice lager they had in my in my um, pizza parlor. But uh, this is their Fest beer. Indeed. We can talk about Oktoberfest at the end. Yes. Uh, but it's in um, uh, uh, it's in a can. All three are in cans. And um, but it's in kind of the classic craft can. It's a it's got a, a label for the when you have a one off. So you know they it's not. It's not one of their regulars. Uh, it's a 16-ouncer. And, you know, what, what do we expect these things to go for? 12 to 14 bucks at the grocery store? For? For a four-pack. For a four-pack. For a yeah. four-pack, right. Exactly. So this is like a premium price point, right? Yeah. And I don't know if that buoy, please forgive me, uh, I'm using you as a general example, but that category But that beer. category. The yeah. four-packs you see, we can talk about Fort, Fort George or uh, uh, Block 15, things that we see locally that are, that are um, yeah, maybe 16 bucks for a four-pack of 16-ounce cans. Then I have another example of what we will call craft beer, but here's a much and, and, and a big by the way, a lot of that cost is has to do with scale. Yep. Right? So these are relatively small craft brewers and mm-hmm. they don't have the efficiencies that bigger ones do, like the second one. And if you print out a can like that with those labels and all that, even just the packaging is gonna cost you a buck more or some crazy thing. Yeah, exactly. So the next one we have is uh, Sierra Nevada's hazy little thing. And I brought this one here because this is an example of sort of large legacy craft brewer that can compete um, pretty aggressively on price. And so I think I got 
uh, a 12 pack of hazy little thing um, for I don't know, let's go back to a six pack price, maybe 10, 10 bucks you can yeah. find hazy little thing for for a six pack. And then the last one I have is the macro uh, beer, which is uh, the award winning the uh, Beervana podcast and shows. Uh, the Blue Ribbon Blue winner. Ribbon, Blue Ribbon <laughs> Macro Lager, which is Pabst Blue Ribbon. Right. Um, and this, again, I got, I think I got a 12 pack for about 12 bucks. So okay. we're talking about maybe six bucks, a six pack, and even, even probably less in some places. So you can see there's big price differences in beer, and a lot of that has a, a huge part of that has to do with scale. Uh-huh. Um, and scale is. In the production process, scale matters. In the packaging process, as you mentioned, scale matters. Also in the ingredient purchasing process, scale matters. And yes, there's also sort of differences in the quality and the quantity of certain ingredients. Um, but why I have these three beers, and so Jeff, I, uh, I invite you to pick one that you'd like to, <laughs> uh, to quench your thirst. Well, um, and, and one of the things that can sometimes mitigate uh, the the price is is expe- is a strength but these are are not that far off uh the paps yeah. is going to be around five that buoy is around five and the hazy little thing is only 6.7 so you're you know you're really we're, we're fairly close to apples to apples here uh in terms of like you're making a decision based on um uh the as you always, you always say it's an experience good so you're just look you're paying for the experience here you're not paying for uh bang for your buck particularly yeah so this is the question i had to ask well i'm interested in this buoy because i'm not <laughs> i had a feeling that might be the one you're going to pick uh yeah it's the one we haven't had it's a new fest beer exactly. happy Oktoberfest, everybody uh and um so i asked bart this question and it turns out that there's not a ton of good evidence about how people's consumptions are are changing if you look at dig- different segments of the market there's uh craft there's like the the domestic macro brew is sort of divided into three segments the i don't even remember now what super premium premium and value or something like that sub premium man oh so, <laughs> premium sub premium and value or is that the value uh no premium super premium and sub premium i think are the categories okay all right yeah. Uh, and so um, there isn't a lot of data about how they're, um, uh, how consumers are, are um, shifting. He does say there's a little bit of evidence um, within craft. So here's some of the evidence that we're seeing um, within craft. So most of the uh, share growth, he says, the growth in craft beer is coming from um, cases, so that's what twenty-four mm-hmm. uh, beers that retail from thirty-five to forty bucks. So this is, you know, Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, right? That kind of territory. Yeah. Uh, so that suggests to me that maybe this is happening within craft, uh, which is sort of what I do a little bit. Um, uh, I'm interested in these new latest beers, but sometimes sixteen bucks for a four pack can dissuade me and I'll, I'll look over this year in Nevada and think, okay, maybe today I'll do this. Um, yeah. And I, I think another way to think about that is in the course of a month, you might used to buy, you know, four 
four packs and now you're buying maybe maybe it's a more specialty item so you're only doing it a couple of times a month or something like that so you're still doing it but you're maybe not doing it as much yeah and by the way he, he points out that line and kugel Shan, shandy and voodoo family from new belgium is our big movers so right they're doing, they're doing quite well <laughs> right yeah. um yeah so this is so this is under the average craft price these are the the, the less expensive craft beers that we're talking about in this price range um but he says, yes, this is a shift, but it's not a huge shift. It's like 1.4 share points within craft. Um, and things, so things that priced above that are down 1.3 share points. So you can see, yes, maybe a little is, shift. There but... is a shift, but we're not talking about really um, uh, huge shifts. And he also points out that this is really just a very uh, modern shift that we're only seeing shift this year. If you go back to the first half of 2022, Two versus twenty-one, um, then the growth buckets were were more expensive between forty and forty-five bucks, and forty-five and fifty-five bucks, fifty-five and sixty-five bucks. All of them were about 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 share points up, hmm. um, and that brands priced below forty dollars lost. So that's evidence against my theory, or it, I don't really have that much of a theory. I'm just curious about how this is going. So there's so there's no great evidence. It may be that. Finally, prices are this kind of price overall. Um, this is interesting. This political debate, economists keep saying, "Why aren't consumers happy? Inflation has the pace of inflation has decreased." Right. Well, it's obvious why they're not happy because the bread is still two dollars more than it was last year. Right. Right. It doesn't. They're not going down, and it's very expensive, and wages haven't caught up. So this might be sort of a delayed response. Um, I am inclined to think it is, but I don't have some great evidence let me ask you a question yeah eight dollar pint do you bulk at that is that all is that a high amount to you where is that po point for you seven dollars seven fifty yeah it's hard because everything's more expensive exactly right? and it's just hard to sort of um uh what i would say is that i now think about pint prices and i didn't used to yeah, yeah i guess totally. that's probably the best way uh and never really uh struck me i i i, I would barely notice um, right, because I'm usually just buying a pint or two. Yeah, and so whether it's twelve bucks or fifteen bucks, I wasn't really paying attention. Or ten bucks. Yeah, um, and it didn't really affect my my purchasing decisions. And this comes up because um, the fresh hop beer at the at the Portland Beer Garden was actually slightly expensive. It was a dollar more than a regular pint. Yeah, and I, was, I, <laughs> I had to think for a moment. I was like, okay, do I really want to spend an extra dollar? <laughs> uh, so I don't know where that goes, but uh, but I do think it's expensive enough now that it makes it gives me pause. Yeah, last night I was drinking the fresh hot beer at um, the Prost pop up, and it, they were eight dollars there too. And I think it's I think it's actually reasonable uh, to charge a little bit more. Sure, there there's a bunch of reasons why, uh, and we may have talked about it last week. Mm -hmm. But in our in our temporal uh, shift, I don't know because we haven't recorded it yet. Uh, but there are reasons why it's harder and more expensive to make fresh hop beers. So I, I I would definitely pay a premium for them. But I'm I'm like you. I I notice prices. I notice from the grocery store too. And it, the the one the, dip, the the mitigating effect is that the grocery store. Um, apropos of the beers that you just put in front of us mm -hmm. i can actually choose to buy cheaper beer but in a but in a, a at the pub yeah you know the pints are largely going to be the same unless it's a very specialty beer and then it'll be even more expensive but you you know you <laughs> you pay the price of a pint yeah i mean um uh, the the takeaway from the producer price index versus the consumer price index by the way is that 
brewery is really getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. And it's a really difficult moment right now because, as we've talked about before, if you try to charge too much, then you're going to see sales just drop. Totally. And so net revenue will just end up dropping, not increasing. Um, So it's really what we call the price elasticity demand. How much will demand drop the more you increase prices? And I think they're really being squeezed by this price elasticity demand, especially in the top part of the market. Um, And so that's really causing a problem because it's no less cheap. In fact, it's a lot more expensive to make that same beer. Right. I did want to talk about, I talked about the substitution bias in terms of consumer price index. So people substitute away from things that are more expensive and into things that are less expensive. This happens in, in the process of making beer as well. There's some things you can't substitute away too much, like labor. Mm-hmm. But if <laughs> a certain hop has gotten very expensive, you could maybe try a different hop and, and, and substitute recipes. Uh, the same kind of thing a little bit with the malt bill you might go for the the domestic malt rather than the imported malt if imported malt is getting too expensive you might think of some other things you could throw in there like rice and corn and um, so there is a way in which brewers can also substitute away and try to substitute a bit and try to manage the thing but energy water labor these are things they're baked into the cake they're baked into the cake and they're expensive these yeah. days, especially energy. And that's what I was going to finally circle around. I was expecting to see wine much less uh, of a producer price increase than, than beer. And I was thinking that energy was going to be a big driver of that mm-hmm. and distilling as well. Because mm-hmm. I imagine that energy use in a brewery is much higher than those two. I would guess so, so. as well. Yeah, you're, you're heating a lot of liquids up and cooling a lot of liquids down and you're moving them around and there's a lot of energy to do all that stuff. Yeah. So I guess I, uh, we need to wrap this up, but I'll end this on a, on a slightly uh, positive note, which is that so far as an economist, I would say the U.S. has done a really good job fighting inflation. doesn't mean inflation. There's no deflation. In fact, you, you don't want deflation because deflation has its own sort of strange... Uh, uh, problems, which is that people who want to invest now worry that actual prices will go down. So is my investment going to pay off? And so we don't want that. What we want is a nice, stable, slow increase in prices, which is usually about 2%. And so we're tackling inflation. We don't seem to be tanking the job market because of it, which is also good. Um, I do think that there's a lot of catch up. We're seeing strikes now. The the motor strike. My wife's probably going to end up on strike as a teacher in Portland. Uh, and so I do think there's a lot of catching up that wages are going to do. And so that's going to reignite a little bit of the inflation pressure. But hopefully uh, the big inflationary episode is over and things will start to stabilize soon. Yeah. Um, you can reflect on this a little bit if you have any information. But my, my sense is that um, the labor prices have really shot up. Uh, as a response to market conditions because unemployment has been so low for so long. And it's interesting. We never really raised the minimum wage, but the amount that you can, you know, drive that down and still hire competent people has really shifted in the last few years. And I think that probably for breweries who used to get by on pretty cheap uh, craft breweries, especially uh, pretty cheap labor are spending quite a bit more for, for, for people, both, in the brew house, but in the tap, you know, in the, uh, on the on the service side, front of house, back of house, all of that stuff is much, much more expensive now. I think that's exactly right, because these are industries that, for better or for worse, have relied on labor near minimum wage, mm-hmm. like low end of the, <laughs> of the wage spectrum, right? And it's, Absolutely. And it's that part of the labor market that is really tight. Right. And so you didn't used to have to pay 
the kind of wages you do now to to get people to work in your tap room and your brewery and uh, yeah and i think that's huge you always talk about uh so uh, on the on the political spectrum i've always been a little bit more lefty labor and uh more interventionist with regulation and you've always talked about the brilliant efficiency of markets to solve problems and i i have to i have to admit that uh labor has is really kind of solving its own problem in some ways by um everybody demanding more money which is i think a really good thing uh, that people are getting paid more for their work now and we didn't ever raise we didn't really do it through regulation we just did it because the market had to respond well, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'll I'll just say in my own defense, I'm not a free market absolutist. At no, all absolutely. Because what I say is that well-functioning markets uh, work well um, uh, and have benefits. But uh, one thing, equity is not one of those benefits. That there's nothing to do with markets. Have nothing to do with equity. And two, we know that there's market imperfections everywhere. Sure. And one of these is. Uh, in labor markets, typically, so you've got these big employers; they have much more power than employees themselves. And so, I'm a big proponent of unions. Just get that get that out there because I think it's a market failure that that needs adjusting. And you've seen what happens when union power goes away. You've seen what happens to the wealth inequality. So, totally. I'm just going to say that to, to, to reinforce my progressive uh, bona fides. Yes. Uh, but it's true that this is a moment in which people on the low end of the labor market can finally get a little more value for their for their efforts so i i'm kind of all for it in that sense and as an economist this must be a a, this must be a much more interesting time than the 10 years that preceded covid which were kind of like two percent inflation everything humming along (laughs) like not a whole lot of interesting stuff going now everything's kind of wild and crazy and you get a lot of interesting stuff to look at it's true it's true i mean this is uh the way that covid has disrupted everything from the way we work, from uh, the way we consume food and beer, for example, right. is just astounding to me. I mean, I, I thought, like mo- many people, I th- that these would be sort of temporary blips and that we'd kind of reset to where we were for the most part. But we haven't. No, we really haven't. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm really surprised about that. And especially I'm surprised about that with the with the draft market because my experience was the second I could get back to the pubs, I was uh, doing that. And, yep. and as with so many things, I'm an outlier and that it was not apparently what the rest of America did, uh, but it, it really surprised me. And, and that's just one example of a million that we could go yeah. into, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with anyway. Well, we're running long, but we should at least talk about this beer real quick. Uh, oh yeah. Because this is Bowie Beer Companies. Um, and I noticed that it's in collaboration with Obelisk Beer Company, which I know nothing of. I don't either. I don't even know where Obelisk is from. And this is their fest beer. What do you think, Jeff? I think it's actually really nice. Yeah. Uh, it it has what I like, which is um, a fuller malt character, but mm-hmm. also crisp and dry. Yeah. So you get the maltiness without the sweetness, which mm-hmm. is well done. Um, I like that. So it's called a fest beer. Just one one minute uh, lecture about history. Yeah. Uh, Oktoberfest Merzen, so in the uh, the there's there's a these are all kind of conflated Fest beer, Oktoberfest, and Merzen beers. Yes. Merzen um, beers were classically the beers that were brewed uh, at the la- at the the last period before the summer came when you couldn't brew, and then they were the first beers drunk in October mm-hmm. um, when you could start brewing again. Uh, but so so those are kind of similar beers, and historically they've been they've been amber uh, and. You know, a little bit fuller flavor, right? But fest beer is a very particular version of these, which is usually a more uh, 
Uh, it's a higher alcohol celebratory beer that was designed to be sold at the fests, uh, the harvest festivals, right. of which Oktoberfest is the most famous. So fest beer, if you see that, it indicates a particular kind of more special version. So. Yeah, because I, 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 my impression is that 20 years ago when you got an Oktoberfest beer, it was much more amber, darker, sweeter. Yeah, these reflect just those classic changes that happen to every style. Okay. Um, in Munich, in the probably up until the uh, you know 1980s or something, it was a pretty amber beer, and then it really started paling up. Yeah. Um, and now the beers you'll for you may actually see in the marketplace something like Wiesen style mm-hmm. fest beer versus regular fest beer because. The ones that are served at Oktoberfest are as basically as pale as Hellas, but they'll but many breweries that are not serving it at Oktoberfest, they're not the big six. They'll have versions of fest beer that may be darker. That's actually there's more variation out there. So when you see Wiesen style, that means going to be a pale fest beer. But mm-hmm. you might see a a fest beer that looks like this one, which we that we have here, which is much more. I mean, it's not a dark beer by any by any stretch, but it's just a beautiful Golden, rich color. Yeah. yeah. So this last question, I'll just say. If you pick up now, today, a can like this that says Festbeer, what do you expect? Uh, I, I expect, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think this is a really good example of, of what I expect. I want something that's going to be really sessionable, uh, but fuller, a little bit maltier to yeah. reflect that change in the seasons. Right. Um, this one is a little bit lower alcohol than I would normally expect. I don't have any complaints there um they're usually going to be five eight to six two in that range and Mm -hmm. that's actually you know we're old men so that's kind of high for me but uh uh but anyway you want you want that that additional uh malt character uh, above the the kind of hellas pilsner that you're going to have in the the heart of summer yeah i was going to say a sort of robust hellas right because they're not characterized usually by too much hops um it's usually more malt forward right but They, they can have uh a little, I, I, I personally really like the ones that have a little bit of that, you know, a little kick that it, it's mm-hmm. that really spicy, classic, noble hopping. Yeah. Not a lot, but yeah. um, they're not a bitter beer by any stretch, but they can have yeah. a little bit of spiciness to them, which I think is a lovely This touch. one has a pretty nice lush, lush hop character. Yeah, it does. Without, without really biting you, but it's I there, think this yeah. is a, a really good example of the, the use of hops in a fest beer. All right, so we can recommend... Bowie's Fest Beer. Yeah, this is a tasty one. Yeah, <laughs> go and get it. Uh, we're really out of time, so we're going to have to put off the mailbag to next week, Jeff. Which uh, is last week. Uh, oh, so we did all the mailbag last week. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you and I are not smart enough to do these out of order. So you'll have heard all of our mailbag last week. Don't worry. Uh, and then next week, we'll have more mailbag for you. If you have any answers to my um, questions, queries, please uh, let me know. That's right. Or anything else that you hear uh, are inspired to comment on. We have, uh, we, I think we're getting back in the saddle. We will have two in the can. So uh, over the next month, we're set. And we have two other. <laughs> it was all my fault, honestly. Uh, we have two other uh, podcasts scheduled, too. So we yep. have ideas for what we're going to do. So I think we're, we're in good shape. So please let us. Uh, know what you think and get uh, us some commentary so we can throw that in the mailbag. Yeah, you can send your questions or comments to jeff at com or on Twitter and Instagram. We're at beervonapod. And I've been doing some Insta-ing. I'm, yeah, I've noticed that. I have too. Let's have go. You, 
since you posted your fracture in a plastic cup, just to prove that I saw that that photo. Very good, very good. Uh, I have also posted something. Did that was on my... portrait mode, by the way. Do you see how that was a nice soft focus in the background? I, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of beard porn. I'm gonna have to go back and check that out. <laughs> check out your chops, because you are, you are, you have many, many talents, but photography is not. <laughs> Always been here. I take exception to that. Just go check out that <laughs> picture of a plastic cup with a beer in it. <laughs> I'm glad to see you're stepping up your game. All right. Well, uh, subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate us. Five stars, that please. That helps other listeners find the show. So uh, Jeff blogs at Beervana blog, and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick uh, still tweets a little bit on Beeronomics. We may have to switch that up. Well, I am, yeah. I'm Are you going to fr- Blue Sky, man? Are you getting on Blue Sky? No, I I did a threads thing, but I don't even threads is threads is kind of terrible garbage. I, yeah, I hate everything's kind of terrible. But that's why blue sky. I'm av- I'm advocating for blue sky. All right, I'll check it uh, out. I, I'm 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 uh, uh, Birvana at, on blue sky. You can find me there if you're on there. Uh, we may. I actually have a couple of. Presently, I have a couple of uh, invite codes, so maybe I'll give one to Patrick. But Ooh. but if you uh, exactly. if you DM us on the gram, maybe I'll give you a blue sky uh, invite code. So there's a there's a hot a hot tip. All right, I was just gonna say that I'm spending more time on. I'm trying to keep our Instagram going. So That's good. Spending That's, a little... doing one is good. Uh, yeah, but you know, every once in a while, I'll post on Beernomics. I have something about the the German hop industry from new york times and how they're having to adjust to climate change and stuff so so it's there all right jeff we're gonna cheers now all right man all right uh prost prost Mm -hmm.